The Responsible Investing Podcast by Aberdeen Standard Investments. Welcome to the Aberdeen Standard Investments Responsible Investing Podcast. I'm Amanda Young, and I will be hosting this podcast. Now, today, my guest is Sarah Gordon, the CEO of the Impact Investing Institute. Welcome, Sarah. Hello, Amanda. Very nice to be talking to you today. Now, Sarah has had a varied career spanning journalism to fund management, and prior to working at the Institute, Sarah spent 18 years at the Financial Times and was most recently its business editor. Sarah has also worked in emerging markets fund management for Citigroup's asset management business and at Foreign and Colonial, reviewing political and economic events and producing analysis of the global economy. Interestingly, she also worked for the UN Conference for the Trade and Development Debt Management Programme in Geneva. Now, personally, Sarah lives a long way from the heart of finance in London. She actually resides on Exmoor in southwest of England. Now, given the beauty of where she is, she has a particular interest in nature, local biodiversity and the interdependence of people and land. Now, I am slightly in awe of Sarah. as She is clearly a bright cookie. She first gained her BA honours in English literature from Clare College, Cambridge. And if that wasn't enough, she went on to pursue further study at Oxford University, earning a master's degree in Latin American politics and economics. So I'd like to begin, Sarah, with perhaps your explaining to our listeners what impact investing is and how it differs from mainstream responsible investment. Sure, very happy to, although I should just kick off by saying that, you know, I'm in awe of you, Amanda. I mean, if the work that you've been doing for many years is is one of the reasons why our Impact Investing Institute exists. So a big thank you to you. Thank you. We define impact investment as investment made with the intention to deliver positive, measurable social or environmental impact alongside a financial return. That definition contains within it the reasons that the areas that differentiate from responsible investment. Increasingly, most fund managers would say that they are increasingly doing responsible investment, taking ESG, environmental, social governance factors into account, partly to mitigate risk, but as a part of their portfolio management. But not as many fund managers are investing with impact. And what that means is actually investing with the intention to deliver that impact to make sure that that impact is positive and measurable. So holding yourself to account for what impact you're trying to deliver and then measuring it and reflecting that back to the investors. And critically, there is still widespread misunderstanding in the market of the fact that impact investment does not need to be concessionary. Mm -hmm. Many people believe that impact investment necessarily involves a trade-off with financial return, i.e. for every ounce of impact you deliver, you must sacrifice a pound of return. Yeah, That's not the case. And one of the things we're doing at the Institute is building up an evidence base to show that impact investment can indeed, across different asset classes, deliver impact as well as financial return. Now, it'd be really interesting to hear a little bit about how you came to be in the impact investment space. Obviously, as a journalist at the FT, it's quite a transition to now running the Impact Investing Institute. Yes, it has been. <laughs> I mean, looking back on the last year and a half, it certainly has been a transition and not in all the ways that I or any of us would have expected. I had become increasingly interested in the 
impact investment space in my last years at the Financial Times. And indeed, the FT itself had become increasingly interested in it. And since I left, has launched a moral money newsletter and put a lot more attention on it as investors have. So I'd interviewed Elizabeth Corley, who ran the task force for implementing a culture of social impact investment in the UK. That interview had run in the paper and I'd become increasingly familiar with a number of different people who are working very hard to move this agenda forward. At the same time, I think the business journalism space really in my latter years at the FT, I left in March 2019, had become very dominated, particularly in this country, by Brexit and by an agenda that I became, I think, increasingly less willing to devote my life to. And instead, really, what I wanted to do professionally was be in the thick of it, really do rather than write, much as I enjoyed writing. Now, given the Institute is relatively new, many of our listeners might not be familiar with it. Can you tell us a little bit about the Impact Investing Institute, why it was established, and most importantly, what you hope to achieve? Yes, absolutely. And um, obviously, you were involved in its genesis, so aware of all the people that came together to make this happen. So there are a number of different initiatives going on in the UK and indeed globally around impact investment. And two of those initiatives in the UK, um, one was the task force that I mentioned earlier, and another was the National Advisory Board on Impact Investment, decided that they would be better together and um, more effective together and so decided to merge. And the work that both those initiatives had done was very important work, really, identifying the range of hurdles that existed that stopped investors, particularly institutional investors, engaging with impact investment. And those spanned a sort of number of different areas and a number of different challenges. And so we at the Institute are focused on those different areas and on lowering, addressing the hurdles that stop people, individuals, investors, investing with impact. So we were launched last November um, officially, which was fantastic to have got the launch out of the way before the pandemic hit at the beginning of this year. And we've been incredibly lucky to be able to continue our work with the support of our core funders and a set of financial services firms who back us. We're backed by the two government departments, the City of London Corporation and 10 financial services firms, of which Aberdeen Standard is one. So our work programme really looks at those different hurdles and looks at the work that's necessary to be done to get people over those hurdles. One of the hurdles is a quite basic lack of understanding of impact investment and its benefits. And we run a a very lively engagement and events programme. But we've also done a very specific piece of work around fiduciary duty, because one of the issues that particularly pension trustees and advisors have is a belief that their fiduciary duty is not compatible with impact investment. We have a pro bono legal panel of 10 legal firms and they've produced a paper which I think of as a reassurance paper setting out why fiduciary duty even in its current definition is compatible with impact investment. And we've also developed a set of good governance principles from that paper to help guide conversations at trustee level, at pension scheme advisor level. Then the second challenge is just competence in impact investment. So even if if you're a financial advisor, for example, and you want to talk to your clients about impact investment, we want to help you have as informed a discussion as possible. So we've produced a learning framework in impact investment that's about to go live on our website 
In fact, when we celebrate our anniversary at the end of this month, it has different modules which help investment professionals become more expert in impact investing. Then we, uh, I, and I referred to it a little bit earlier, we're producing an evidence base of different impact investment asset classes across asset classes and across geographies. So, for example, looking at social housing um, in this country, looking at what pension schemes have done in developing markets, um, other non-UK pension schemes. So really providing examples because we have found, and I'm sure this will resonate with you, Amanda, we have found that when talking to investment professionals and individuals, the best thing is to say, this is what other people have done already. This is what pioneering pension schemes have done. That's incredibly helpful. Driving best practice in many ways. Yes, absolutely. And that's a really core thing that we're trying to do is, is show examples of best practice so that other practitioners, investors, individuals can learn from those examples. And then we've got a, a focus on reporting because, as you'll know, there's an alphabet soup at the moment of ESG reporting and measurement metrics, and we're working both internationally and nationally towards global convergence of reporting and measuring impact, but also nationally helping companies and investors have more clarity and transparency over how they think about and report on their impact. Perhaps you could just explain a little bit about how that work fits in with the wider responsible investment industry. Yes, at the moment, you know, you've got, I mean, it's incredibly exciting and vibrant environment where you've got a lot of, for example, asset managers who are using their own systems and metrics to think about their responsible investment, their sustainable investment, they're indeed many moving into the impact investment space. But what we're helping to support and hoping to achieve is that there will be much clearer and more transparent standards across the industry, which will span. We think of ESG and sustainable investing as really the beginning of the journey, that once you've embedded once, I mean, it, it is now pretty standard in your industry, um, in the asset management industry for ESG factors to be integrated into investment processes. But relatively few have moved on from that into further along what we think of as the spectrum of investing capital into the impact and into the delivering the positive impact space. What we want to do is we want to make life easier for everybody, not more difficult, which I think has become, <laughs> well, it's become even... <laughs> that, that would be great. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's become even more critical because of the pandemic. You've got businesses which are really struggling with some pretty existential challenges. And the idea of layering on top of that additional burdens, additional regulation is not what we're trying to do. We're trying to create greater clarity, greater transparency, greater standardisation to help businesses, to help investors, and also really critically to help individuals who can then you know, have a much clearer way of comparing investment products, comparing performance, really holding institutional investors and, for example, their pension schemes to account. If they say they're delivering impact, what does that actually mean? Now, I know another topic close to your heart is a campaign you're working on at the moment, which is the promotion of the green plus guilt. Now, many people may not even know what a green guilt is, let alone a green plus guilt. So perhaps you can explain what these guilts are and also touch on why you feel the green plus guilt is a useful policy tool in driving investment to achieve that green and social change. Absolutely. 
The reason that we're focusing on this is for a number of reasons. Mostly it's because of the critical need and urgency both to address the climate emergency but also for social renewal and particularly around jobs and skills which is on the cusp here and outside the UK a really terrible unemployment crisis and we need to think both about addressing that crisis but also about the opportunities in skills that the transition to a net zero carbon economy provides. And so we think at the Institute, we've always felt that the E and the S, the environmental and the social, should always be considered together. But I think that that linkage has become even more critical because of the current crisis. So we believe that certainly in the run up to COP26, the government should issue a green gilt, so a public sector borrowing finance vehicle where the proceeds are used for environmental project categories. But we also believe that those environmental project categories should be closely associated with social benefits. So whether that's job creation or skills or community renewal or infrastructure, that we need to think about those two things together. We came out with our proposal for the Green Plus Guilt, which is on our website for those who are interested. And we've been very pleased by two things. One is that we tested throughout its development, we tested this proposal with fixed income market participants who really welcomed it. And indeed, we've got 40 public signatories of support to the proposal, including some of the biggest asset owners and managers in the UK and indeed in the world. But we also were encouraged by the fact that a number of green investors, so pure, what you might call pure green investors, so those who are investing for environmental impact, are also really thinking in the same way that we are, i.e. that you really need to think about the broader social context for this environmental spending. And then the second thing that was really encouraging has been the fantastic engagement from both the business community and policy makers and government officials with our proposal where you know there's a a real recognition particularly in the run-up to the UK hosting COP26 next November and also chairing the G7 next year that there's a real need and a benefit for the UK showing leadership in this space. We're also developing the proposal so that it's not just for the UK We're working with the EU and also with national advisory boards on impact investment around the world because this is a fantastic engagement tool with government. And even if governments aren't doing a green guilt, it's a very effective way of helping policymakers engage with what we're trying to do. It's really exciting. So I think our listeners do watch the space and do look at the website. Now I'm going to change tack a bit and talk a little bit about books. So now as an alumni of both Oxford and Cambridge, um, listeners, you might not be surprised to hear that when Sarah asking for an inspirational film or book recommendation actually came up with a number of books. Sarah, please, can you share with our listeners what reads have been your sustainability inspiration? My first thought on this was two books that influenced me very much as a child and as a young woman, which were George Eliot's Mill on the Floss and Middlemarch. And the reason that I chose those, I mean, they're obviously fantastic novels, but they're also, they grapple with really big issues. The Mill on the Floss, the heroine is grappling with the big question of how to be good and how to do good. And in Middlemarch, the heroine is grappling with the idea of how do you try to change the world in the brief span of your life? 
they're both incredibly powerful explorations of those challenges which are challenges for all of us personally um, particularly in, in the space we operate in but also obviously how to have agency as a woman and I wrote a lot about diversity and diversity in the workplace when I was a journalist and it's an issue that feminism is an important strand of my work and one that continues to influence me at the Impact Investing Institute. And then I thought a just a slightly more up-to-date perhaps recommendations were really thought-provoking and challenging book by Anand Giridharadis, which is called Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World. And I think it's got really important challenges for those of us working in the space, Amanda, that you and I are working in, making sure that we are genuinely responding to the need for systemic change and responding to the people, the individuals on the ground for whom this change is designed and making sure that those voices are not just reflected but in our work, but are driving our work. And finally, I recommended Station Eleven by Emily Sinjin Mandel, and that's about Well, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. How can I put it? It's incredibly relevant for now with the pandemic. And it's also incredibly relevant about the redeeming power of art and creativity, which I think is something that's a very important. It's often not talked about enough in the impact investment world, but I think it's an incredibly important issue for us all to be so aware of and to support now when that world is so under challenge. Well, there we go, readers. You've got a long list to keep you occupied for the foreseeable future. Now, Sarah, we're nearing our time together, which is very sad because it's been really interesting. But just one final thought. I'm really keen to get your view of what the future holds in the impact investment space. Yes, I mean, I think it's been, I mean, look, it's been a very, how can I put it, a roller coaster year. One of the things that's been so exciting, I mean, apart from building a team at the Impact Investing Institute, which has also been a wonderful experience, has been the fact that the pandemic has just enabled us to double down really on our work. I mean, there really feels like there's incredible momentum globally behind impact investment and behind the, you know, the recognition that we really need to change. We really need to address the climate emergency. We really need to build resilience better and and equity into our societies so that we can withstand crises like this. And I think it's therefore an incredibly exciting moment to be involved in this work. And I mean, we're working towards a long term vision where all businesses and all investors have to account for their impact, both negative and positive, and where critically individuals are able to hold businesses to account for their impact and are aware of the positive power of their money. Um, We haven't talked about that um, so far, but I think that, you know, the the fact that you as an individual really have immense power with what you do with your money, whether it's in your pensions, your savings, your bank account, your consumer choices. And finally, one where the broader environment, the policy environment, the regulatory environment reward positive impact. And I think that's an incredibly, I really do think that we're moving in that direction. And that's what our work is trying to achieve. Thank you so much for that, Sarah. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us here today. And sadly, that ends our discussion for today. It's been a great pleasure talking to you, Amanda, now and on every occasion. (laughs) Uh, So those who are interested in the Impact Investing Institute, please do go and look at their website. And thank you to all those who have taken time to listen to our series. You can download previous podcasts, which you can find on our website. And until next time, goodbye for now. 
Thank you for listening to the Responsible Investing Podcast, brought to you by Aberdeen Standard Investments. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more great content, visit AberdeenStandard.com. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for information purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen Standard Investments. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns. Return projections are estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.